Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. On today's program, we're going to listen to some voices, voices of religious liberty. Recently, the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, an education and advocacy organization based in Washington, D.C., placed on their website some testimonies made by men and women who experienced religious freedom, or lack thereof, personally. I thought you'd like to hear some of those amazing testimonies, so I contacted the organization, and they graciously granted permission. When state-sponsored Christian missionaries trampled on the religious liberty rights of Mitch Randall's Native American great-grandmother, she ultimately rejected the church. Understandably, Randall, now a pastor, is passionate about protecting religious freedom of all people. Let's listen. For several generations, the story of my great-grandmother, Eloise Boutenot, has been told and retold. My great-grandmother was born in 1906 in Oklahoma Territory, That's one year before Oklahoma even became a state. Eloise was a full-blooded Native American from the Muscogee Creek tribe. As a young girl, she and her sister Ruby were sent to Chiloco Indian Agricultural School near the Oklahoma-Kansas border. Chiloco was one of the five schools across the country established by the federal government to assist in educating Native Americans in an attempt to assimilate them into the growing American culture. However, Before educators could teach them agricultural skills and how to be a good citizen, they first had to strip them of their Native American culture. These girls, along with other students from other tribes, were subject to oppressive behavior at the hands of government officials. More precisely, these students were denied religious liberty, and the wall separating church and state, it never existed for them. First, The girls were made to cut their long black hair in a style more acceptable by the Christian missionaries who were brought there to educate the children. For Native Americans, the haircut was a disgrace and a denial of their culture. Native Americans believe there is a sacredness and divine purpose to their long hair, something that should not be tampered with nor cut. Secondly, my great-grandmother and her sister were severely beaten by these missionaries under the watchful eye of government officials. The reason for their beating still disturbs me. Anytime the girls were caught speaking Muscogee, their native language, they were beaten and told by the missionaries the only acceptable language for good Christian girls was English. Finally, they were forced to attend church services every week. And there were absolutely no excuses for missing. Any child caught skipping received severe punishment at the hands of the Christian missionaries, again with the blessing and the authority of federal officials. My great-grandmother and many Native American children like her were denied their right to worship freely simply because they were different from the majority. Her story serves as a constant reminder to me that religious liberty must be extended to all, for if one person's liberty is threatened, then every person's liberty is threatened. I have been fortunate to have the freedom to choose, and everyone should have that right. My family, my friends, and my congregation. That was Pastor Mitch Randall's passionate defense of religious liberty for all people. 
Next up is Jeffrey Hagrid, who battled a type of discrimination he'd never personally experienced, religious discrimination. During my college years at the University of Virginia, I was very active in student organizations. Most of those organizations were committed to pursuing equality and justice at the university and in our larger society. One such organization was the Black Student Alliance, which valued protecting the dignity of all persons. My life experiences then, as an African American who grew up in a predominantly Christian culture, had conditioned me to assume that people suffered indignities and equality and discrimination in life because of skin color or ethnicity. I felt strongly then, as I still do, that as a society we should never tolerate discrimination against anyone because of their identity, by which I meant their ethnicity, skin color, or even language. As time went on, our student movement expanded to incorporate students from non-African American backgrounds such as Asian, Arab, African, and others. As I interacted with those students and learned their stories, I discovered that they had experienced discrimination throughout their lives also, but for reasons that I had neither experienced nor considered. They talked about not being welcomed in certain circles where I was welcomed, not because of their ethnic identity or country of origin of their parents. They often felt unwelcomed or even threatened because they were Hindu or Buddhist, Muslim, or identified with some other non-Christian religious heritage. My reaction quickly evolved beyond surprise at this news to a profound sense of conviction that religious faith was as much a part of their identity as the color of their skin, and accordingly, their freedom to practice their religious faith should be respected and protected. If we are to affirm the dignity and worth of all people regardless of skin color, which is basic to their identity, we should also respect them regardless of their religious beliefs, which is also basic to their identity. Later on, when I studied American religious history, I learned that religious liberty is not simply a really nice value, but religious liberty is a right that is rooted in the very origins of our great nation and protected. By our Constitution. Moreover, early in our nation's formation, Baptists, such as Roger Williams, were at the forefront of the movement for religious liberty. In later years, I learned about the work of the Baptist Joint Committee, and it was simply a logical next step for me to become actively involved in its mission, as I am today. Jeffrey Hagray speaking of his experiences with religious freedom. Now we hear from a gentleman named Brad Bull. Brad stood up against a government-sponsored Ten Commandments display. In doing so, he found himself not just battling an establishment of religion, but explaining the Baptist heritage of separation of church and state to those close to him. My wife had just delivered our newborn son. He was a day old, and he had been named John Clark Leland Bull after John Clark of Rhode Island fame and John Leland of Virginia fame and my wife and newborn son were laying asleep in the hospital room and I was literally scrunched up over next to a window reading the newspaper by the light of one little slit in the curtain and there was an article that said that the county commission subcommittee was having a hearing about posting the Ten Commandments. 
I looked at my watch and it was about five minutes, maybe five or ten minutes until time for this meeting to start. And I jumped up and ran, literally ran across the bridge to the uh, the county building and got there out of breath. The meeting was now a minute or two away from starting. I recognized the name of the sponsor of the bill and I saw him standing there and I introduced myself and we very briefly chatted and I told him that I was a Baptist minister and that based on what I read in the paper that I, I wasn't sure I liked this idea. I then went out and took a seat in the gallery, and uh, they started having this discussion, and I was just sitting there minding my own business listening. And then suddenly this county commissioner said, well, there's a Baptist minister here who actually is opposed to this, and uh, as I understand, and I, I think you know maybe we ought to hear from him. And, and so I, I, I was caught totally off guard and stepped up to the microphone and gave them a brief primer on the separation of church and state, there were two different editorials the next day, and both of them credited me with swaying a certain recommendation vote to a no recommendation vote, a neutral vote. It was sent on to the, the Fuller Commission, and I then prepared remarks to speak against it at the full Commission. I said, I have a neighbor who is Buddhist and a neighbor who is Muslim, and they pay taxes in this county the same as I do. And I don't mind you putting up a poster of the Ten Commandments as long as we let everybody put their similar documents up. The next morning, my secretary called me and said that this person had called the church very, very upset, saying that he was in the process of calling all of his friends who had my wife for private music lessons and tell them to pull her out. And a few minutes later, my phone rang, and it was the father who said, I cannot believe that you've done this. I now have more than enough rope to hang you. He said, I love you, and I will be the first person to bring you a truckload of food when you lose your job at your church. And he said that like that was a done deal. My pastor later had a conversation with him and said, whoa, 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 wait a second. We're not getting rid of Brad. This was a very lonely time, uh, I started getting all these nasty phone calls. My wife was teaching uh, at, a, at a private school that met in a church facility, and the pastor said that unless they dismissed my wife, terminated her employment, they would not be allowed to continue meeting in their building. Eventually, a, uh, a parent in the church called a meeting to try to mediate some resolution and it was a pretty heated meeting. I was asked to leave the room and then was brought back in. And, and they said, now, uh, we're just going to ask you to write a document. And if, if you can prove to us that you and Connie are Christians, we will uh, talk to the board about letting her keep her job. And by the way, while Connie got her job back, I was expecting a rock through the window. It it never happened. You got a newborn baby and you know some people are threatening your job. But I, I was afraid. Two years later, Brent Walker had come to Knoxville for a meeting of the presentation about the Baptist Joint Committee, and it was standing room only. During the Q&A, I raised my hand and, and kind of playfully said, Brent, you're saying that if we take money from the government, we're in, in danger of losing our prophetic voice. Am I understanding you? Yeah, yeah. And I said, so my question is, how do pastors maintain their prophetic voice if they're dependent on their congregations for income. 
Brent looked at a pastor who was sitting nearby and said, so, well, how, how do you answer that question? And he said, well, I know a lot of unemployed pastors. And then Brent looked at me and said, so what's your answer to that, Brad? And I, and I stood up and faced this very large crowd and said, uh, two years ago, when separation of church and state was jeopardized in this community, I went way out on a limb. And I, as I recall, I felt pretty alone out there on that limb. I don't remember seeing any of the rest of you out there on that limb with me. In fact, some of you were shaking the limb, telling me to shut up. I think if we're going to talk about separation of church and state, it's, it's one thing to talk about it here in the safety of this room. It's another to actually do something about it when it's threatened. That was Brad Bull sharing his personal experience with some of the issues in the area of religious freedom. Our broadcast today features some of the voices of religious freedom as made possible by the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, founded in 1936. The committee works with Congress, in the courts, and through educational programs to uphold the historic Baptist principle of religious freedom, protecting both the free exercise of religion for all people and defending against its establishment by government. You can learn more about them at their website, bjconline.org. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651 or email us through our website at 3abn.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. Today.